0: Happy Wednesday. Recorded during the plague year 2020, this is the Andromeda Minute. Each week we get together to talk about the all-too-timely 1971 Robert Wise-directed techno-thriller The Andromeda Strain. One minute of screen time per episode. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of tvdads.com.
1: And this is a good friend of Jim O'Kane, Jordan Rich, a host in Boston at WBZ Radio, and a podcast called On Mic with Jordan Rich. And
0: quite the movie Maven, too, Jordan. It's always great talking (laughs) movies with you because you have so many references and so many uh, connections to all of these films. Uh, And this, uh, again, this is another film that has, gosh, the the Kevin Bacon count must be incredible with all the TV stars and things that are in it. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely, my friend. And
0: uh, we, uh, we start the minute again in the flashback uh, to March of 1969 when all this trouble began, or I don't know, trouble, opportunities, whatever you call it, crises mm-hmm. began. Um, and we get a, a beautiful view in that opening second of uh, something I've talked about previously on this show, uh, Robert Wise's uh, love of the split-diopter lens. Uh,
1: yes, yes, that's true. That, this movie, by the way, even now, 50 years later, had a lot of interesting uh cinematic developments that was one of them the other one of course was the name douglas trumbull who yes. uh, whose video effects we know from decades of fine work on on screen so i mean you had you had state-of-the-art stuff and i love that split screen uh it works on occasion for this yeah
0: yeah um being able to look at the the back of arthur hill's ear is just as in focus as uh the the knuckles on <laughs> on uh, david wayne's uh hand right. that he's holding up to his uh great everything the the casting we talked about uh on our last episode and just little things like the uh the costuming everybody here looks like they're wearing very professorial garb uh they all look like mm. something you'd wear in the faculty lounge at berkeley <laughs> uh,
1: and then of course uh when we get to the to the base yeah uh, some really cool circa 1970 71 uh high tech costuming and and uh you know it, even even though it's a little dated there's still a lot of future there in those uh designs
0: yeah i i agree and uh it's very simple uh they didn't have to add too many buttons and you know uh lights and things to their to their outfits you just they look appropriate for the time period it doesn't look anything i mean it is somewhat futuristic since they're in an unusual environment but it all looks like uh uh, like something that the Devo- Department of Defense would have developed in in that format. Um, and, and like you said, everything from the khaki uniforms to the different color coordinations as they get into wildfire. It's just amazing. And, and one of the
1: things, too, that you were talking with me right before we started uh, this podcast um, is the use of the helicopter. And, and we are both fans. And again, this shows you how esoteric we can get. But James Gavin, who's flying the helicopter, and I did not know... That he was an actor who had specific talents in that area would you explain what he was known for
0: yeah he was he was an actual an actual helicopter pilot of which there are not many actors that have that crossover so if you needed somebody in the right seat to fly uh to fly your helicopter this fella could act well, while keeping a, a a chopper up in the air uh, so i would he, probably
1: trust him over harrison ford these days
0: yeah oh, for sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, apparently, I mean, I, there's so many, there's so many TV shows and, and movies where he's, you know, he works for the evil, the, you know, the, the, the antagonist in the movie. So apparently if you needed a, if you needed an evil helicopter pilot, James Gavin was your man. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he, but, you know, but
1: he, it's uh, helicopters, of course, I mean, they're used in so many films since helicopters have been around, but, but it's particularly jarring in this one because through the helicopter, we see the impact of the disease on this town. And that is a chilling scene as you yeah. know, Jim.
0: Yeah. I mean, seeing all the, uh, the vultures uh, attacking the bodies on the ground is very, and considering this is a G rated film, I'm always just shocked and amazed that they, they managed to pull a G rating for this for this movie. Uh, when you see, you know, uh, swollen corpses on the ground with, uh, with birds chewing on them. I, I'm,
1: it's yeah. fascinating
0: that, uh, well.
1: It's so funny you mentioned that, because as you as you know, uh, being a movie buff, the rating system for so long was was based on four-letter words and flesh, but yes. it had nothing to do with violence, gore, etc. Um, and I remember, uh, well, you probably remember this too. There was a movie called The Front with Woody Allen and Zero Mostel. Yes. And this movie had no reason in the world to be rated R, restricted, uh, save for the last line uttered by woody allen to the congressional committee basically telling him to go take a flying leap but using different words yeah that 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 was a cross point for me when they decided to switch but but you're right it's a very stark and scary scene i wouldn't advise this movie for for little kids, necessarily, even
0: yeah, today. I don't, I don't think I, w- I was, I was about eleven at the time when it came out, and I'm not sure if I, <laughs> if I was ready for for all of this. I, I had read, you know, I had read about it, like like you did. I read the book, and it's one thing to picture it in your mind in a book, but seeing this very graphic, even for Robert Wise, it was extremely graphic uh, uh, portrayal of dead bodies on the street.
1: Yeah, uh, and and you wonder. I know this is really digging well beyond the weeds, but you wonder, whatever happened to those vultures, did they ever get sick? Yeah.
0: It, <laughs> it's, it's like, uh-oh, and- uh, Nobody ever you know, asks for vultures. You ever noticed no, that, too? Yeah, it, it's, nobody ever thinks about them. But, uh, you know, they had yeah. that big that big warning at the opening saying that no animals were injured in this, although <laughs> we see some terrible things happen in the poor animals in this movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm just, I, I'm impressed that the combination here, and it, it, just in this minute alone, the combination between uh, Robert uh, Robert Wise's direction plus the work of the editor and the cinematographer yes. you have a very uh, visceral feel of you are you know you're Arthur Hill you're you're James Olson leaning leaning forward in the helicopter and seeing the devastation that's on the that's on the streets below um very object a uh, very uh, subjective rather than objective
1: view that's a that's a very good point and to bring it full circle to where we are today, and and you aptly describe this as the plague year, even though, God willing, it won't be anywhere near the kind of plagues we've had in the past, but still, uh, it's it's one thing to talk about it and to mention numbers and mention facts and statistics, but then when you see the body bags uh, in, in today's world or you see the counts, and you know people real people are affected that's that's a whole different thing in fact uh, in the film there are some close up shots and I know we're jumping ahead but people will see them of uh victims stricken and they are absolutely even to this day uh, they they'll stay with you
0: yeah it's it's very shocking uh, i i think you know part of this um one of the things I talked about in earlier minutes is that this is 1970 1970 was filmed, it was released in 71, but the 1970 films got into more of a documentary feel that they use more of handheld cameras, they use um, night shots, grainy images that made it look more of a a documentary feel. And these pictures aren't that much different than what we were seeing in uh, Life Magazine and Look Magazine with, um, you know, the devastation coming back from Vietnam um, and uh, you know uh, previous uprisings in uh, in Hungary, you know, uh, the uh, the, sp- uh, the spring re- uh, revolts and things in uh, in Czech- Czechoslovakia, mm-hmm. and I think the the graphic nature of this uh, is kind of, it fits in with the time period. I mean, we were seeing a lot more graphic things in our in our magazines and our and on our evening news than we had ever seen before. Um, it was usually very sanitized, so I think this you know that may have been part of why Wise took this this ro- uh, role.
1: Jim, That's a very fine point, and I concur. I also believe that Crichton intentionally set the scene in the desert where we know uh, something else over the decades has occurred, and that's the a- atomic bomb testing. And, yes. it, and you and I are old enough to remember seeing, even if we saw them after they were released initially, those horrid scenes of towns being wiped out literally just wiped away by the t- atomic bomb test towns yeah. with with uh, mannequins and so forth the, the the people in this little town in the desert look like mannequins but they're real i mean real i mean they're yeah. actors but so i i think there's a lot of symbolism here um it could have taken place in the middle of new jersey but it didn't it took place in the middle of the desert where testing
0: yeah and been. it also i think uh yeah, when when you when you picture movies of uh, of the '40s and '50s that that Wise was uh, around, uh, he didn't direct many westerns, as far as I know. But uh, the the idea of the western motif, the the sparseness, the barrenness, the it, it kind of it brings everything into sharp relief. Uh, the you know, the, there's no there's very little green in this picture. It's very mm. death is all around, and uh, the. Uh, the la- the isolation and the lack of uh, y- you know that you feel you're very alone in, in this town and uh, and it looks like everybody in town's been wiped out as far as we know
1: right. so uh,
0: I think that that underlines how how desolate this situation how how terrible the situation is
1: uh, the other thing that and and this is something we touched on in in the first minute we got together and discussed on this is the clash of culture here you have uh, as you say the arm patch tweed jacket, uh, sophisticates, the elites, the, the professorial types, the science brigade, uh, and they're entering the world of, uh, well, let's face it, uh, lower middle class at best, uh, yeah. poor, f- almost forgotten people, people who are uh, victims, victimized by our uh, hubris in a sense. And uh, it's it's a very interesting culture clash to have these two come together. Of course, the elites are here to save them or prevent others from having the same fate. But it, uh, it's just interesting. No, a, fa- a fascinating,
0: fascinating view, view on, on that. that. Yeah, yeah I, I agree I, that it it's, these are the people that suffered from the decisions that those uh, those professorial types uh, came up with when they were sitting around the table. Much like, I, I, I mean, I think that uh, Wise may have been affected by things like uh, uh, John, uh, John and Alan uh, Dulles. Mm-hmm. And, and their ideas of what, you know, how to how to fix Cuba and things, and, and mostly it just brought death and devastation to both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think he's making a commentary here that's very subtle, uh, but uh, but obviously familiar to the audiences of the day.
1: Um, yes, I, I, I agree. I think there's a lot more, first of all, to Crichton's writings over the years. I mean, I've read just about everything he's written, and we lost him too young, but I mean, I think he was always making uh uh a moral argument for whatever it was whether it's Jurassic Park or any of the other uh films i mean there's always that moral dilemma has man gone too far and he makes it here but he also kind of as you point out so aptly jimmy also uh knocks science and the elites uh to a certain extent you know the the heads are in the clouds and they're they're all sometimes about uh the philosophy of it and the the theories but not how it impacts real people so that there's an interesting take that I think Crichton often had with science we we, we respect it but we shouldn't over laud it if I can say it that way
0: yeah they they open I mean it's a very promethean uh, uh issue that you're opening you're opening boxes that maybe should be left closed and uh, these these guys are a bunch of Victor Frankenstein saying, "Oh well, this you know, I can I can solve things, I can make things better." But they don't understand that there are many other collateral issues, uh, and, and people get caught in the crossfire that had nothing to do with uh, with their decisions. I mean, the middle of uh, nowhere, New Mexico, Piedmont, and mm-hmm. uh, something from outer space would never would have never affected these lives if not for the, the guy that's. That's flying
1: in this helicopter. That's right, and and what makes it so interesting—I'll use that word—and uh, I know I'm jumping ahead, but I, you can't help but jump ahead no, a little I... bit when we're doing it. Is the uh, is the cry of the baby, and and there's that one link, that one link to hope and survivability, and the old man that I'm sure you're going to be talking about in more detail. Uh, yeah. These two facets, uh, of course, which lead to the answer, which offer clues are, are such a great plot point because, you know, without that, you just simply have a race to find a cure without any real hope at the beginning. But I, I, I just love that, uh, inclusion of that plot point because it does remind us in, in a very Wellesian or kind of way, you know, remember war of the worlds, yeah it was the simplest, it was the simplest thing that defeated the Martians. In this case, it's the cry of a baby that leads to discovery, which I just love about this. Wow!
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it's and that's I, I I looked forward to. I mean, I, I this was kind of an <laughs> an immediate decision during our plague year here, but I looked forward to doing this movie as a minute by minute basis because there's so much to talk about and there's so many so many different elements that that spin off into you know a bunch of discussions so that's
1: oh that's why fodder forever i mean i realize there, it's a, it's a two-hour film so you've got a lot of minutes but i mean there are some there are some moments that uh, really make you stop and think even watching it 50 years later and you mentioned james Olson, and i know um you know uh, the two of us love to talk about actors and characters james Olson, who i believe is still with us still in yes. his late years um, had an interesting career, mostly playing uh, 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 lawyers or bad guys or bureaucrats, but of course he turns it around and and really saves the day in in this antihero kind of way. And but I I love the fact, as we said in the earlier minute, that these are non. Uh, screen gem actors; these are not uh, pretty yeah, faces. Yeah, they're
0: not. Fe- they're faces, yeah, not not the face. That's
1: they're so they're, they're so believable. Even David Wayne, who at that point was in his late middle years, really looks like the kind of guy you'd find uh, writing on a blackboard at UC Berkeley uh, and it, writing formula. Yeah, exactly.
0: And you just you you jump right in. You're like, okay, this this could have been a documentary.
1: It, it, Absolutely, it feels, it's got that it feels, documentary feel to it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we've got lots more to talk about uh, on this as we as we're going to finish up the week. Um, Jordan, uh, always a pleasure uh, talking to you. But listening to you is even a greater joy because I don't have to think of things to say. <laughs> but, no, I'm um, usually
1: good at filling space. I'm very you, good at that. And no, you, it's it, it, yeah. you, you give me so much so much conversational uh, bait. It's pretty hard to resist.
0: Uh, well, where can people listen to uh, other conversations? Uh, for example, your your wonderful podcast that is out there on Mike.
1: Yeah, I've been doing it for a couple of years. It's uh, on Mike with Jordan Rich. You can just Google that. Uh, I'm on all major podcast platforms, or just visit me at jordanrich.com, and that'll take you where you need to go. I, I, it is a must listen to.
0: You have you have an amazing rolodex of uh, of uh, guests, most of whom are in the voice business and uh, very familiar, very familiar sounds to uh, to listeners. Uh, it's it's great hearing every episode. Thank you, John. For uh, folks who would like to talk back about this particular episode, we're always available on the uh, social media of uh, Facebook at Project Wild Flat on Facebook or on Andromeda Minute on uh, Twitter. Love to hear from you. It's, uh, there's lots of fascinating discussions coming up on both of those platforms. If you'd like to subscribe to us, we're available on the typical podcast uh, catchers like uh, Spotify or Google Play or uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, just go in, uh, click on subscribe, and you can get us delivered hot and fresh Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Uh, we will finish out the week uh, here. Oh, by the way, you can also find us uh, on our big site, AndromedaMinute.com, where we have uh, summaries of every minute and uh, a, a link to uh, these shows. So you can catch up on the previous uh, third of an hour that we have out there already. Wow. Uh, please join us here on Friday. Uh, we'll talk some more uh, with Jordan uh, right here on the Andromeda Minute.